This is Staying Alive, the podcast, and I'm Louis J, your host. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been a it's been a pretty crazy week here in uh, Southern Ontario, and us getting ready for what potentially could be a reopen. So, lots of things have happened this week, and uh, of course, I'm joined by Frank. Frank, thanks for being part of this, bud, and uh, and stepping in today. Let's have some conversations. Yeah, man. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday to you. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, I'm not hungover. Had a couple beers last night, watched the UFC fight, and uh, <laughs> just a late night. Late nights, um, they have an effect. Yeah, so uh, not green behind the gills, but <laughs> 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 a little slow for some reason today. I think the week has caught up to me, so, but yeah, interesting news. Things seem to be opening up. It's kind of weird. Very confusing times. I hope we can kind of dive deeper into the information that seems to be um i, I don't I, w- I don't want to say misrepresented misrepresented but i mean it just it's just very confusing because when you, they you know the government or whoever it is is saying one thing and a different action is happening and it's like well, what's going on and i do have a personal story to tell because uh, our family got um uh, covid tested uh, yes uh, two days ago the whole family went, didn't they? Yeah, it was part of the. Uh, it was an, uh, an outbreak at uh, the kids' school, and the thing is, the word outbreak, <laughs> when we see it in a in a book or a movie, it, you think it's like you know twenty thousand people, but out- outbreak is defined uh, two or more cases. So we've had over the course of the week, there's been a new case each day. And those kids were sent home, whatever the case may be, they're quarantined or whatever. So the school decided we, we should do a test, test the entire school. And they've encouraged everyone to bring the entire family. So what a process that was. <laughs> well, with, with all that's going on and with some of the criticism that's happening because of the way rollouts for vaccines are happening, I'm sure that it was far from expeditious, far from you know, uh, organized. Uh, and sadly, I mean, I say that with hope that it's not because, because you expect that we've had a year to plan for whatever this is, you know, and in that, so let's say not a year, but a good six months to be able to put planning in there. And there's some brilliant people, you know, in our government and there's Mm -hmm. some brilliant people, you know, from a logistics standpoint that would, you know, see this from start to finish. And in, in some cases, uh, you're hearing just horror stories. You know, we've got 75, 80 year old people lining up uh, for vaccinations that have seen them in, you know, outdoor elements for more than two hours, three hours, and in some cases even more for day one and day two of the rollout for vaccines. So yeah. you wonder, like, what happened there? Like, wh- how did we not get this from one point to another? I know when when I'm planning events, I do what we call a pre mortem. Yeah. And it's actually what I do for planning anything. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, you're very familiar with a post-mortem that happens either after an event or after, um, you know, uh, when they try to find out what went wrong. How could we improve mm-hmm. upon these things? And in fact, I look at it entirely differently. I look at a pre-mortem before I do any planning, whether it's opening a store, uh, running an event, you know, taking on a project. I look at every single piece of the puzzle from start to finish and plan all of the contingencies that potentially could uh, be required because you've been throwing a loop, a wrench. You know, you didn't realize that weather wasn't going to be what you thought. Well, you do a list of scenarios, right? Right. right. You break it down and you would expect that, you know, our government uh, and the people behind the logistics of these rollouts and the school testings and the likes you know, have obviously planned it six ways to Sunday. You certainly hope so. But when you come down to the execution and you realize there's something wrong here, first of all, likely they gathered you all in one location. Yeah, so the testing was done inside the gymnasium, but the lineup was outside. Okay. People were supposed to be six feet apart. Doesn't happen. It's almost impossible. Once they got you, you know, after an hour and 15 minutes of waiting outside... You've made it into the gymnasium for another lengthy stay, but now you're kind of grouped 
up. You know what? I, like you're in enclosed in in area. like also oh, your group with your family though. With your family, but you have another family like right behind okay. you because there's two tables there to take all your information. So here here's the funny thing. You receive an email saying we're going to do this testing and everything, bring your OHIP card and everything like that. They give you all the instructions of what they they expect you to do. When you get close to the gymnasium, they hand you a clipboard and it's like fill this out. And it's, you know, there's six of us in our family, so you're filling out six applications, which boohoo, no, no big deal, right? Sure. Um, but the wait was so long, we had that filled out pretty quickly with all the information with the kids, OHIP numbers and everything else. Then we take those forms, go to the table, and a person is there with a laptop. It's only two tables. It's only 300 kids at our school, so you multiply, like, you know, it's 300 families. Right. Um, average between four to six people in a family. It's a lot of people. Two tables to receive you. Wow. They enter the data by each each sheet with the, with the laptop. Then they ask you to go to the next table, and those people take that form that you handed the data entry person, and they start writing down on labels all the pertinent information needed <laughs> to go on the vials. Well, that took forever because now you're writing everything down manually. Is that a T? Is that an I? And you're like, oh, my God, can we just you know, expedite this a little? And, that, and, and that's, that's the key word. Expedite. Right that's the word that is missing in government. Efficiencies and exp- expediting. <laughs> I hear you. I think you almost lost me when you said handwritten. Yeah, it I was. I mean, how do we not have a process in place where, you know, a barcode yeah. connected to the data? But they don't they don't look at uh, what they've set up, put themselves in a line, and go, mm-hmm. how can we make this um, more efficient? Um, you have to understand. For them, it's a job, and I the people that are there, I, I don't knock them at all because they weren't the ones who set up the protocol. It's the ones who create the protocol do not put themselves in the situation. And um, you know, it, it sounds like a huge complaint, but I, I just picture this going on everywhere where they're doing anything like this. And it's like, oh, my God, no wonder things are so backwards. Well, backwards and expensive. So in that time in the lineup, we came up, my wife and I came up with a way more efficient way how to do this. In the email, fill out this form, print it out. There's a barcode there. When you arrive, we scan the barcode Cut that barcode out, stick it on the vial, do your test, off you go. I'm, you know, what's funny is I'm sure you and your wife and a bunch of families just like you came up with processes oh, that yeah. would have been far more efficient. And, of course, you have to understand, too, that, I mean, I think we're reaching a point where at a height of complaining mm-hmm. because we've had it. We've gone through a lot. I don't think... I don't think a lot of us have really physically suffered. Uh, it, it's just more of a mental strain than anything. So a lot of people are at the end of their rope. Oh, yeah. So when you see something like this, like you're already, I don't know, it's like two guys that drink a lot all night at the bar. They're ready to They're ready to go. Uh, ready to go. At one point, they're, they're ready to go. Yeah, we're punchy. We are total. yeah. And it's like, oh, man, oh, like everybody <laughs> in the lineup. <laughs> You could see the body language. You yes. could see, like, what's what's going on? I, how could they not be expecting this many people? Well, that's where I think, um, you know, people are more are, are more vocal now about their confusion, their frustration, because this is where I think, you know, we have elected officials that make decisions, and as they publish the decisions, there's a camp that either is like absolutely 100% against anything they say. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or not because they just are opposing it. Mm-hmm. And that's their job and yeah. that's their function in life to oppose any decision, good, bad, or ugly. And then there's there's the majority of the population that I believe um, are in that middle. So make it make sense to me and then I'm going to support it because that was a good idea. Um, but if it's not a good idea, then I'm going to stand back and say, hey, listen, that was kind of odd. Why would we do that? And, of course, on the other side, there's ones that think no matter what happens, it's the right decision because it's official. And it's from our, it's from our government. Right. And they must have well thought this, and they're much smarter than me. Um, so in those three camps, I feel more often than not, especially now, the middle camp where it's like, make sure I think this is a good decision, and if I do, I'm going to endorse it. 
I feel that the majority of us now are standing, and I put myself in that in that camp. Right. That it's got to make sense, and the majority of of the announcements that are coming out have people with massive question marks above their head. Like, just wait a second. Yeah. What, did they just now? What am I supposed to do? And there's always some. I know in my household, there's always some form of confusion as soon as a press conference comes out. Right. Like, but wait a second. If we are supposed to do this but they want me to do this. How am I supposed to do both together? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's been evidenced this week with the recent announcements of, you know, some of the gray zones or um, the lockdown zones here in, in Southern Ontario and Peel and Toronto and the GTA um, for where we are in the world. Um, they're modifying the zone structure. And uh, if you're not in a color structure where you live, then, of course, you can imagine, you know, everything from green to orange to red. And as you get further up, you know, the scale, um, you know, the, the the restrictions are tightened. Yeah. And as, you know, we start moving forward, they've loosened up some of the restrictions and allowed, you know, restaurants to open patios and, and the likes. And so there's been a number of announcements because people, quite frankly, are just really frustrated with the fact that, you know, big box stores still operate. Uh, grocery stores are still are operating, and protocols aren't being aren't aren't being realized or met. And um, that puts people in that middle category again, that camp that says, "Make this make sense to me." Really confused because they know that other businesses are more than capable of opening safely and mm-hmm. doing better process and protocols than the large ones. But I think back to the point, the. Um, the decisions that are coming out are being met with more question now than ever because we just don't have the faith that they're being made with our best interests in mind. And I think our common sense is starting to really uh, nurture. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And and all of a sudden we're finding that we have a voice. And when we think it's wrong, then maybe it's right for us to start saying, come on, guys. Like, you know, I'm not about to stage a protest uh, to say that everything that's coming out of our government officials' mouths are wrong. No. Um, because I do believe, like I said earlier, none of these people signed up for any of this, you know, and you know, so they were elected to take on responsibilities that in any normal time wouldn't have seen these hard decisions to be made. And now, you know, I think it's in a lot of cases towing the party line and, and having to support the decisions of, of the leaders of those parties or the officials that are making decisions and common sense in a lot of cases there isn't being realized. It's not being said. So we need to, I think that's where we're becoming more, more collectively united and saying, come on guys, like this needs to make sense. And also too, you hit the point. I think we talked about in the last podcast is leadership, right? So um, whatever you think of Doug Ford, uh, our premier of Ontario, that's your opinion. Keep it, whatever I have. I'm indifferent. I, I I really don't care. He's an elected official. That's what he is to me. Right. But he certainly isn't leading because as a leader, I would assume you're sitting at the table and say, bring in the health officials. What are we, what are we up against here? Well, and any medical person will tell you, you need this prescription. You need this rest. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I have to work. And he's just leaving every decision up to the medical officials. He's not bringing in, I don't know if he is or not, but bring in the economists, bring in the, the uh, mental health practitioners, bring everybody in and get their information as well and go, okay, great. So we have definitely a challenge here. We can't be close together, but we still need to have commerce. We still, people still need to work. Um, there's livelihoods at stake here. There's families at stake. And, um, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, there has to be some kind of happy medium. It's, it, you know, if you're going to shut us down for 14 days, make it 14 days and, and be it. Not continue to expand. Like, what what are we seeing here is just listening to healthcare officials, which, you know, they, they do have the right answers, but it's not the only answer. You need to have that other input to make that, as a leader, you go, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is what I think we need to do as a leader. I'm going to take some of your information and take some and apply both. But in the meantime, you can keep your restaurant open under these guidelines. We're not shutting you down. We're not shutting your barbershop down. Right. Because you're following better protocol than a lot of the places that I've been to. 
uh, you don't even find the, the dispenser anymore. Right. The, the uh, yeah. The hand uh, dispenser there for the sanitization, for sanitization yeah. at the door. I mean, yeah. there's I've Gone. been in, I've been in locations where that's not there. Gone. There's no tracing. There's no tra- there's no temperature gate. I mean, you're 100 percent right. Um, but they've been given the permission to to operate, and you know, given that the podcast really covers everything from leadership, uh, business, and and life events. You know, when you talk about leadership, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart because, you know, leadership requires true leading. And if you could be very well right where, you know, maybe they're taking the advice of all of these people. Maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not inviting them to the table. I think he's flat out said, I'm just listening, you know, whatever whatever they say, I'm doing. Yeah. And, And that's funny, too, because... You know, I want to take the advice from all of the experts that are part of the programs that I put together. I take the advice from our, our teams at our shops, and um, not always had I thought of them, mm-hmm. but I have to have an ear for them. Right. And then what happens if I decide that they're not employable, that they're they're not a program that I'm going to move forward with, then I have the respect that I want to deliver to the person that came up with the idea or advised me I have an obligation to recognize their effort because they're thinking about it on my behalf and they're thinking about what can we do to make it better. It might not be the best solution, but the think a better moment needs to be uh, realized. And so what I think good leadership does, and I think this is void of our, of our current condition, is I'm going to explain to you what we're doing and I'm going to tell you why. And if there is a chance that that's confusing, then I want to, I want to hit that nail on the head right now, and I want to describe to you why this might sound confusing. So this gets back to, like, general presentation skills, you know, where it's a matter of here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, here's why you might find that a little difficult or challenging, and here's I'm going to explain to you, you know, why this makes sense when it might seem that it doesn't. Because you know what happens there is that you end up aligning a whole bunch of people with, oh, I never thought about it like that. And if it that middle ground, that that camp of people in the middle that are waiting for good common sense and they'll uh, support and endorse it, if they feel that you've satisfied their objections or their confusion, then all of a sudden they're going to be on your side. And then we realize, listen, we couldn't do barbershops if that was the case right now because, you know, the chance for tra- chance for transmission is greater with one-on-one, it's close proximity, even with mask, it's going to do this. But when you're told that you're you're fundamentally not as safe as the environments that they've already opened and you've been given no explanation beyond that other than close proximity, our health officials say we shouldn't, so we're not going to, then you leave a lot of people in that middle ground confused and frustrated. And now I think, to your point, they're, they definitely, we've said it before, they're at the ends of their ropes and they're coming back with, a, I just don't buy into it. No, it, you know, you're closed and a dentist office is open. Right. And I think I've mentioned this several times, but it does irk me. <laughs> Getting calls from my dentist saying, you need to come in for a cleaning. I'm like, are you serious? You're at ground zero right. where droplets are made. Like the highest way to, to be contaminated is through the mouth. Still open. I understand to be open for like, you know, a, a painful cavity or a root canal or like, I mean, you know, this is pain management. Um, so you want to mitigate that. But anything else can really wait. It can wait. But they're still open. And what I've heard is through somebody who's a family member that works in the dental industry, it's like, as long as they're told, as long as you're wearing PPE, you're fine. That's where the challenge is. So your guys here, I've seen them wearing all the stuff that's necessary with shields and everything closed. Closed. So so this is where you have to ask yourself, where's the common sense? I don't understand. Clarification. Break it down for me. Show me the results. Right. Show me the numbers. Tell me where you found six cases of people walking into a hair studio or a nail shop, um, and it spiked and there was an outbreak. You haven't had what you did. All kinds of contact tracing. Not one came back to you. Not one. And, and we, along with you know a number of other personal services business businesses, uh, can say the same. And that's the challenge where, 
you're being painted with a brush that um, is a big catch-all, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I just look at the funding that happens behind this, you know? So businesses are closed. They've just released another round of funding. And I, hey, listen, I am grateful yeah. because, quite frankly, we would be sunk if yeah. it wasn't for the relief. And the relief is, it's not a matter of the government giving us money. It, you know what this is? It's our money. money. Yes. It's our money from day one, you know, and now it's being reallocated. But I feel like the inefficiency that's caused the 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 the, the uh, byproducts of this pandemic, the the challenges for businesses, the the bankruptcies, the mental health, all of the inefficiencies that made those um, those challenges more apparent and more clear, and now we're facing them. They're costing us more money, so they're costing more of our money, you know. When in fact, you know, like I said, I'm grateful we would be we would be done without it. But you've just put another 1.7 billion dollars into a fund to be able to help small business. How about this? How about let the small business open, increase bylaw officers and patrol, and make sure that the compliance is happening. And I bet you the numbers would be staggering. Let me get back to doing the business we want to do. And the challenge is too is that. A lot of people aren't really even ready to come back to the business that they're not the business to, 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 to visit the businesses that they would have normally like in from personal service providers and other regions that are open. Um, they are reporting that the first two, three weeks of reopening were just like our last lockdown. We're very, very busy, and it was a glimmer. It was a shining hope. It was a beacon for mm. us knowing, okay, we're going to get back to it. And then after the first round of cuts, uh, in our case, barbershop, after the first round of uh, nails, after the first blowouts in the, in the blow bars, like, it just dies. Flattened. It's, it's like, um, you know, I've talked to a number of the other shop owners outside of our area, and they're doing nothing. Actually, that's the challenge now that they're so severely impacted by the decline, now they have to operate mm -hmm. and you have to pay operationally. And all of a sudden the landlords are back on saying, well, I expect full rent, you're open again. And in fact, you're open, but you're not close to where you need to be. Right. So we, we, we I think our aftermath uh, is going to be our biggest challenge right now. Thankfully there's a funding program. Thankfully, um, you know, I think people are rallying behind each other in that, that middle camp again saying, guys, you got to make this make sense to me. You know, um, vaccination um, rollout was kind of flawed. It seems like it's getting better. You've had an experience with mm. your family not having um, the process nailed down properly. Well, I don't think they, when they're making decisions, it's there's a million on the table. So it's like a, a, a high-level chess player playing multiple uh, boards boards against different people it's that one person against different people and they're just moving on decision made decision made no circle back right no circle back going you know we evaluated that whole process that was a a freaking disaster right and it was we need to be uh, a bit more efficient here how do we streamline it let's go back let's see where the where's the big slowdown where's the bottleneck where's the why do we have so many people standing around in an enclosed area when we're trying to keep Everyone, you know, my neighbor drove by it and said, what was the super spreader event going on at the school over there the other day? <laughs> oh, my god! And gosh. you know what? He wasn't wrong. Right. Right. Well, here's here's one. Um, the day after we started rolling out vaccines, you know, we've got some friends in healthcare, and I was on a call uh, with one of them, and she said, this clinic is empty. There's nobody here getting vaccines where we did like 15% of what we could be doing this morning. And they're calling people to come in to get the vaccines. Not because people aren't interested in getting vaccines. It's because the process was flawed. Something was wrong there. And again, back to that pre-mortem notion mm -hmm. of, did you plan every single scenario out here? I mean, I know, Cabin, uh, we were invited in, um, I, don't know, I guess it was October, to be part of a pilot program. I wasn't allowed to speak about it because it was on a, a non-disclosure. But um, we were part of a program to represent retail. I was very, I was very honored to be chosen. But the goal there was is they were rolling out um, rapid testing programs for large environments, 
excuse me, retail providers, uh, places where there could be contact. And I sat on a call with, um, I think there was upwards of 80 or 90 professionals that wow. were on this call, in some cases, logistics experts. And um, I forget what they call it, but basically they create a mock scenario of if we were going into, let's say, an Amazon plant and there's 2,000 employees, how are we going to rapid test process um, a result so that they can go safely to work with people that are safe? Anyway, it, the program sounded phenomenal, um, and it was going to be that, again, that shining light, that glimmer of hope to say that this makes sense. you know. And there was uh, former military personnel. There was even somebody with a sir at the end of his name because they had that level and that pedigree of, um, of knowledge on that call. And the call was hours long, and they had this mock-up planned um, from the moment you got your invitation, the registration, the on-site, moving from area to area to area, and the data mining and reporting that happened, it was it was so well planned and so, so well thought that I thought, my gosh. We're going to be out of this in a day. It's going to be, and that was October, <laughs> you know, and so I don't know what prevented the program from rolling forward. It might be right now. We're not part of it, um, but I can't wait to be participating in it. Um, but it shows me that there is people out there that are far more capable of thinking of what those uh, very minor details are, but they think about them and they've got to be put in the plan. And when you see something execute poorly, you're of the mindset like, didn't they think about this? Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm not anti-government at all, no. but I believe when you let them run stuff, it, 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 they do it wrong. They do. You have to. You have to reach out to the people in in um, in these areas that are experts in it. Mm-hmm. Um, have them handle it, and you oversee oversee the process. When you let the government plan and do the execution and everything else, it's just the, their men- mentality is just throw money at it. Like, oh, we need fifteen more people here. Throw money at it. In in the real world, the private world, the private business world. We don't have that big of a budget to to make those kind of moves, so you have to think, and you have to evaluate, and you have to do, like you said, your list of scenarios before you hit the field and go, here's this. What happens if 400 people show up? What happens if 20 people show up? What happens if 2,000? How do we expedite this? How do we get these people processed quickly, efficiently, and making sure that nobody else is contaminated during the process? All those things. I'm sure... Somebody in there was thinking that, but just maybe that voice wasn't heard or whatever the case may be. But if you reach out to the experts in logistics and everything and go, here's the scenario, come back with the plan, please, and we'll evaluate it, that's the way out of it. And, and the biggest thing that you mentioned is rapid testing. I was listening to a Lex Friedman pod- podcast. It's an excellent podcast. There's a gentleman who's a, a university professor, young fellow, um, uh, He's a medical professional uh, and in, in Yale, I believe it is. And he's pushing rapid testing and saying, you know, rapid test kits are kind of like those P-tests for pregnancy. Right. They're available. Yeah. The technology's there and it's being sold all over the world. And um, his thought process is like, if you can make it as a $2 test and everybody has them and they do their little saliva tests and in five minutes it'll tell you whether or not you're viral or not. He goes, you could be keeping all the contaminated people at home. But if you're not, you just go to work. And you're safe to go. And you're safe to go. Well, and I think that's, that's I think, where we need to be uh, yesterday um, because that would open us up. But what happens is when, let's say, Buddy does a test and it registers maybe a positive. Right. There's, there's got to be an opportunity to go to the next level of testing. There is. Maybe there's another like level of testing. There uh, is. In, Investment-wise. Yeah, so, man, I wish I had a computer to, to Google this for you. But he said there's there's a $2 kit, there's an $18 kit, and there's a $35 kit. Okay. So you base, and, and the accuracy level increases as the higher value. So you're not spending $38 every time you do a, a rapid right test. Right off the bat, yeah. So if you get a, uh, a positive, you go on to the $18 kit and go, oh, maybe I should, here's my double check. And you're positive again. It's like, well, to be 100% for sure, go get the $32 one. And now you know, okay, positive all, across all three rapid tests, I'm staying home. Mm-hmm. 
not going anywhere. I'm quarantined for 14 days. You're not out there spreading it. Right. And that's how, you know, and, and those things should have been out when the numbers were low. Okay. Now <laughs> we're sticking needles in people's arms when the numbers are, are they at the highest right now? Cause I have stopped watching the news. Well, I got to be honest. I too have uh, kind of turned away. Yeah. Um, I know that we're in this environment. We're back up to where alarm bells were being rung. And that's where I think people are, again, confused, frustrated, and just completely giving up their hope that the decision makers are making good decisions because we've done effectively, uh, from a business standpoint, we've done everything we're supposed to do. Um, If in the event that the places that were permitted to open were doing what they were supposed to do, we wouldn't have the problems. Um, But what they haven't done is, is created a scenario for individuals if the transmission is happening um from social gatherings then all of your your cries for help or your pleads for you not to do this aren't working so when (laughs) i know that when i see something that's not working from a from a management standpoint i don't go back with the same answer trying to make it work you know and i think that's always been that definition of insanity where you keep on trying the same thing but expect different results. Right. And so <laughs> these are really common, you know, uh, thoughts and phrases and, and ways of being. And when you don't see the people that you are entrusting for your safety and your financial, you know, um, recovery, making the kind of decisions that just make sense, then you really tune out. And that to that point, like... I don't really care about the numbers anymore because to me it's no different. I'm doing the same thing that I did when it was 800 number people, 2,400, 3,000. Uh, I'm just doing what you told me to do. And now at some point, you know, quite frankly, yesterday, that was Saturday, we had planned a uh, cabin, the business, had planned um, a civil disobedience demonstration. And we were about to take to the streets in one of our local communities um, simply to I, to create awareness and recognize that you know we do have protocols that are safe. We had been implementing them prior to lockdowns. Uh, we can't continue to lock down. And and the point was is that it was to really identify the unfair uh, decisions and the the place that it puts small business like ours uh, in from compromising what our potential you know futures could be. Mm-hmm. And so. Our goal was to, you know, march up and down, you know, the the main street here. Um, I wanted to to treat it like a funeral procession, and I thought maybe that might have been a little insensitive in a lot of respects because I certainly don't want to mock um, the notion of losing uh, someone. But in this case, it was losing the business. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anything could be more... Uh, clear and I, I don't like to mince words. I like to get the point out there, which in a lot of cases we've seen nobody be able to do properly. I yeah. want to get the story out there that says you're putting the nail in the coffin. The final nail is going in our coffin, and I wanted it to be, um, you know, arresting, um, respectful yeah. but arresting. And you know, as as we all uh, watched the news on Friday unfold our local governments here decided that it was time for us to open up personal services, loosen the restrictions a little, which in in fact flies in the face of everything they've been telling us. Right. And I'm a big fan of making changes even after you've made the decision. Right. Because often some of the best changes I've made have come after I've thought that I've had this thing licked, you know, and I'm, I know exactly what I'm doing. So I like making changes. I like making changes for the better. Right. And so if, if our government's making a change for the better, then tell everybody why, because right now they're confused again. Wait a minute. The numbers are going up, but you're loosening restrictions. Tell them why. Make sure they understand why this is possible, because we too as a government believe that these personal services shops can do this safely. They can, they can be part of the community. They can you know generate revenue again, and they can provide services that you've all been asking for, because... There is a mounted movement <laughs> to be able to get in nail salons, hair hair shops, and and the likes reopen gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a massive movement, a lot of pressure from people to be able to do that. So if the government's bending to the pressure and saying that we do agree, then tell everybody why. Yeah, they. I think they have a, a misunderstanding what the word um, transparency means. 
Um, <laughs> I believe they think transparency means coming to the microphone on camera, going, "This is what's happening today." This is what... no transparency means. We've reevaluated this. We've noticed nothing has moved the needle. So we've, you know, got back to the drawing board, sat down, and said, "We need to make this happen now." That's tr- transparency. Find find the information where you thought. It was going to go one direction. Recognize that that didn't work. That's not working. We need to reevaluate and make a new decision, not make the same decision. Yeah, and that's where we kept finding they were going back to the same decision, same output, same answer. And finally on Friday, I think everybody was given this little glimmer of hope Yeah, where they said they were going to loosen restrictions, they were going to modify the lockdown gray and in our area, that would allow personal services environments like barbershops, salons, nail, nail, um, nail bars, um, and and fitness personal gyms or gyms to reopen with some restrictions, you know, capacity and all that stuff. Which is what we've been saying since day one. Um, we can do this safely, strict, strictly enforce capacity limits and the likes. Um, anyway, so that was very exciting, and it it. it Put a halt to our social disobedience protest. I, maybe it's a demonstration. Protest is a bit heavy because I too am not anti-government. I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm not really. I, I like when things work and there's a cohesion and people are collectively moving things forward with mm. positivity and kindness. And in in this case, you know, I find that a lot of people will just jump up and and criticize without having solutions. So I like the fact that this was a glimmer of hope. Um, and then they came down with the next part of that glimmer of hope that said, and you'll be able to open April 12th, which hmm. is like two weeks and a, and a couple of days. Enough time for things to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you're in that middle camp and you're going, where's the common sense? They didn't tell me why it was two weeks. They just said, April 12th, we're going to be able to resume. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, as me being that pre-mortem guy that plans everything you know, from soup to nuts, mm. I'm like, okay, well, now we've got to talk to staff. We've got to look at our booking system. We need to make sure that we can accommodate it. Uh, I don't want to overburden the staff coming back after months off. Are we going to have potential fatigue issues? Are we going to produce less of a, you know, um, a quality product if my team is working too too long? And how do I get them back into this without, you know, overwhelming them? So all of these scenarios are playing out of my mind. Well, you have like a like a sports franchise. You have a, a high-level, right. call it a hockey team. These guys have been off the bench for so long. Right. You think they're going to come in there and be flying on the ice? Not a chance. No, they need to, to, to almost not retrain, but they need to get back in the motions of it all. Climatize and, everything. Yes, climatize. That's exactly it. And so pushing them into 10, 12-hour shifts to accommodate some, some um, you know, haircut is not the right answer. We need to be in for the long game here. And so I'm planning all of these scenarios with my team. Um, you know, they're looking at improving the system so that bookings can happen efficiently and putting out messages and recording, you know. So as we're doing all that, I begin to realize, wait a minute, this is April 12th. Um, numbers are going up. Yeah. Uh, the pressure is on the government to make decisions and come out with announcements. And I quickly kind of concluded that this is not real. Like we're not. If if we listen to everything that's been explained to us as to why we lock down and shut down, this flies in the face of all of that. And so the other part of the conversation that's been consistent is that I rely, and this is the Ford government in Ontario, I rely on the expertise of my healthcare uh, and medical professionals, and I'll only make decisions that they support and endorse. The minute the press release finished, the criticism happened from the medical professionals. So wait a minute. Now, you haven't told me that you're deviating from your story, um, which is fine. Like I said, change is awesome because Mm -hmm. that means you're questioning uh, the outcome and how you can get there. And that as a leader, I think, is important. You need to constantly question the way you operate to make sure that you've covered off all these scenarios. That's the gig, man. That's the gig. Yep. That's all it is. It's really quite simple. You need to be a, f- a futurist in thinking where we could be and how you can make this better for the outcome. And so <laughs> I'm comfortable to say that maybe you've had a, a reconsideration about how <laughs> you listen to your medical officials. Mm-hmm. But tell me, and you didn't say any of that. No. You came back with the same story that I'm taking the advice of. 
And then, you know, as a medical professional coming out minutes later saying, we don't think this is a good idea. idea, then I begin to realize, wait a minute, this is a pacifier. You know, there is pressure being put on our government and the officials um, to reopen small business. And, you know, I, I think that that was just, it was timely and it wasn't happening from day one. We had enough time to realize, hey, listen, we can do this well. We can do it effectively and efficiently and safely. So people began to stand behind that movement of get these businesses open because they can. So the pressure that the government was feeling, I think, was pacified by making an announcement that says we're going to move you into because you've been talking about it and we need to because we need to get businesses open. And that makes everybody feel good, you know, until you don't feel good anymore, which is about to happen when all of a sudden the numbers that continue to rise and you're listening to the medical professionals talking about modeling, there's no denying that numbers are going to continue to rise. We're going into um, a rescheduled spring break for our kids <laughs> on the day that I think April 12th. Well, that you're supposed to. We're open. supposed to be open. Yeah. So is this going to be a very short-lived moment, if at all? And does the pacification of the, you know, of, of the people to make sure that they feel like we're moving in the right direction and giving us some kind of hope. Is that is that all this is? Because if the numbers rise, isn't it going to be easy for our government to come back to us in two weeks and say, guys, we really wanted it just like you did. We were we were really rooting for it. We gave you know all the green lights for this, but the numbers speak, and we listen to our medical officials that say we can't. And now all of a sudden, we're not opening. We tried it your way. Right, and, now and, and you didn't perform, yeah. and your numbers keep on rising, and that's not on us. We told you what to do. So, like, to me, this is, like, I'm very hopeful. Trust me, I am the most optimistic guy you're going to meet. <laughs> but when it comes to a reality check, I can't see how this is actually going to happen. And so then what happens? You know, companies like ours, any small business that's preparing for reopen is investing heavily in the effort to reopen, the scheduling process, the protocols, making sure they have the dividers in place. They got the temperature checks. They've invested financially, emotionally, and in time. Um, you may have to, in some cases, uh, have more people join you because now you've got to perform. You've got, you've got a window. You've got to be open and ready for right. them. And so, that might mean training. It certainly means training from our perspective. We've already had our Zoom training calls for our teams here to say, when we're ready, here's our protocol. And we'll see you the week before for more protocol. And because I want I want to be looked at as being um, complete and absolute 100% safe and secure. And the only way to do that is to build out those scenarios, play them back, see how they could potentially go wrong, make sure that we're not the kind of company that's writing down your data, putting it on the vial, because that's not efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to be efficient in all this, but that means investment, investment in time and money. And in fact, if we don't get a chance to reopen, that's when people are going to lose their marbles. Like they're going to go bananas. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think we, we likely at that point have, we have to. We have to be heard, we have to be recognized, and we have to create a call for common sense. Like, get us there, do it safely, do everything that you said you're going to do, but don't talk out of both sides of your mouth because it's becoming, you know, quite tired. And um, I'll, even, I'll even point that out further. You know, yesterday afternoon I heard um, a senior medical official in, in the Toronto area talk about, in his interview, he said, I just came from my rounds. Um, I don't look at the numbers that are being reported daily about cases. I look, about, I look at ICU beds, and they're full. He said, we have 409 beds full at the height of our, our pandemic. We had 420. But are and they all ICU? Are they all COVID cases? I mean, I don't know. Because okay. I, I all ICUs are supposed to be full. Fair. Or else you have, this is how the medical profession works. They don't put 50 beds in because there would be 30 beds empty all the time and doctors standing around and nurses standing around. They want it always at, they have to run at full capacity. I think the, I think what they're trying to identify or, or, or illustrate here is that we don't have room to take the onslaught of COVID cases. That's going to happen because you now have made everybody feel comfortable 
in the fact that we're moving forward when in fact we're not moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that was his criticism. He said, you know, um, actually my last uh, patient, I just came from his room. He's on a Zoom call with his family. This was really, uh, it was heartbreaking right. to hear this. He was on a Zoom call with his family, but of course he couldn't speak because he's got a tube shoved down his throat. And here he is, 30 years old, no preconditions whatsoever, very healthy, active, um, you know, uh, 30-year-old that is not at risk. And uh, within two weeks is in a, in, a, in a bed on a ventilator, you know, um, looking for recovery. And it's, it's not going to be an easy, easy uh, mm-hmm. answer for that, that guy. And the, the doctor was just like, you know, when, is this, when does this not sink in? Like, when do you realize that this is not something that we need to see happening and we see it every day? And I, and I was like, wow, you know, like that, that to me was, although I've, I've heard all the stories before that one really hit home because his point was to illustrate that we're feeling more relaxed because the, the, the time has gone by. Time has gone by. I think by. people have all said, okay, I'm done with it. What you can't be done with. Right. Can't be done with it, and when you hear, I'm done with cancer. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. When you hear the um, the officials announce that they're going to loosen restrictions and and open and reopen and move modified zones into other modified zones, then all of a sudden you feel like, well, we're moving in the right direction. I can't tell you how many people congratulated us, and it was it was such a uh, overwhelmingly warm feeling from our customers and our friends saying, so happy for you guys, so happy for you guys, which also just kind of, you know, it it just complements the conversation the doctor had about people feeling good about this and now feeling like we're moving into, um, you know, less restrictive environments, which means that we must be going in the right direction. Excuse me. And in fact, um, it's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so back to that whole idea of, you know, leaders leading and, you know, making announcements that aren't clear and cause confusion and frustration. And that's, you know, I think really what's come out of our Friday announcement. I mean, we've gone full bore trying to make sure that uh, everybody's going to be accommodated for when we do get a chance to come back. Um, I remain hopeful. Like I said, I think April 12th will come and go Um, with us being in the exact same seat as we are right now. We'll probably be doing a podcast about it. Yeah, most likely. I do want to kind of shift gears a little bit here and get your thoughts um, about uh, moving forward. And as an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur's mind, um, looking at the landscape now, I'm sure there's been a lot of people who were prior to the pandemic were planning to either open a business, start a business, start a restaurant or whatever. And uh, I guess, fortunately, were able not to execute because of lockdowns and everything else and have waited essentially a year. What do you think most entrepreneurs right now um, are looking at in terms of where we are right now and how they see everything going and when, when that strategy is to make that move to get that brick and mortar or set up that website? Well, and I think there was a bunch of people in the middle of this that were crazy enough to open their business in the pandemic. And some of them were successful too. Hugely. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting time. Like, even though you're hearing all this negative thing, there's a lot of positives happening. Oh my gosh. Tremendous. I mean, I think if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, that flair that I just need to go do this. And if you're already not in that space and this was a chance for you to make that leap, I think this is a great realization moment where you can talk yourself into just about anything. And that, I think, is really powerful. Now, whether that's going to be a success point is entirely up to you. Um, and what, whether you see that business, um, that service, that product, having an important role in the way we operate in this new modified life that we're living. You know, um, if you're not looking to create an online experience that I think you're missing the boat. Uh, I think bricks and mortar will never die. You know, I used to be in, in, well, in the agency that I was with many years ago. Um, the big fear was that print is dead. Print is dead. Digital is coming. And in fact, you know, I was of the mindset that print will never die because it's relevant and it has a place and there's a tactile feeling and there's an emotional response. 
I look at retail um, in, in, in the brick and mortar kind of environment, it doesn't matter what you're selling, service or product, that there is this, um, there's this tactile experience that people are always going to long for, and it's never going to die. Um, yes, there's a massive convenience about getting things delivered, and I think if your business doesn't put into play that that needs to be a part of it, then you're missing an opportunity and quite likely your growth will be stunt by it. Um, but I think that if you recognize that our new world um, is providing challenges and opportunities, then you as an entrepreneur um, will figure out a way to be able to satisfy, you know, all of the ways to be able to move your product and services. And again, I don't know if there's a right time. Um, I think the right time is now. It, it, and it doesn't matter, you know, uh, if it was me, the right time is now. Mm-hmm. Because anything that's stopping me from fulfilling my goals, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't walk into this, you know, eyes wide open and not recognize that there's challenges. But if I don't try to overcome those challenges well before I get there, then I will be sunk when they do present themselves. That goes yeah. back to that whole pre-mortem thinking. Actually, pre-mortem thinking is not mine. It's, um, it's a stoic philosophy. And that's a philosophy that's thousands of years old. And some of the best leaders in the world, um, the ones that have really shape-shifted our environments and our, our culture and our, our business, uh, live by a stoic philosophy. It's not like you're looking for all the things that could go wrong. Because your goal in, in understanding Stoic philosophy is to look for all of the things right, just be prepared for the things that are going to go wrong. So, you know, uh, that, that I learned uh, in an earlier podcast we talked about, you know, when I was in the dot-com world, it, was, it became a great lesson for me early on to say, you got to have a plan B for everything. Your contingency is more important than your plan. Because your plan gets rooted in, in you know, the romance of this really cool idea. I want to be a jewelry shop. I want to be an underwear shop. I want to be whatever. I want to I fix cars, you know, um, because that's what you're passionate about. And often you can be blindsided because your passion doesn't really help you navigate what happens when the customer doesn't show up mm-hmm. or the customer doesn't pay you, um, you know, or the supply didn't make it, you know. So now what? Um, so I would say if you're considering, you know, that shift right now and you're coming from, you know, whatever environment you're in and you want to be, you know, that entrepreneur providing service, product, uh, you know, advice, uh, counsel, and, and, and you're waiting for something to finish, you're waiting for the pandemic to be over. I think you are, um, you need to take a step back and recognize that risk is, is rewarded when it's greatest. Like, so your greater risk is usually the greater reward. So, you know, mitigate your risk, do what you can to make sure that it's, it's not going to sink you because you made a really bad decision. And, um, and then the time is now, um, the resources that are available for, for entrepreneurial minds and, and that spirit is abundant. I mean, you have to spend time online, and I know that a lot of us are are just so tired of being online. Um, never thought I'd say it, but I'm finding myself, you know, um, you know, when you can measure how much time you spent in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually very proud of those moments when it's been, you know, a dip from the week before. I'm like, ah, oh, that's good. That means I'm doing something else. Yeah. But this is a time where you could use that online resource to really help navigate the next steps of your business of how you open, how you operate. There's master classes available for everything from brand awareness, from launching, from hosting a podcast to, I mean, it's, it's so abundant right now. We are living in the best knowledge time of the history of the universe. Mm -hmm. Like this is our time, you know, and, and when you start to, to filter and sift through and find the real nuggets is when I almost find it like a treasure treasure hunt. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've like, oh, my God, look what I found. And then you save it and you reflect on it later and you come back and now you operate differently because that little tiny nugget just before bed, you know, in that, that post is now going to change the way you operate tomorrow. Um, so I think that's really encouraging. I think that, that entrepreneurs... Um, anybody in business, really, you, you, even working for somebody, you can you can employ some really cool thinking right now because 
it's it's out there and the lessons to be learned are are uh, at our disposal at any time we don't have to show up for it we have to turn it on mm-hmm. so if that means two in the morning that's perfect if it means two in the afternoon even better you yeah. know whenever it fits your schedule but I think that um, that's where I think we're going to end up seeing an explosion of offerings and services and things that will compete with the giants um, because I think that that's healthy. I think that's where we need to be. It's going to be impossible, um, you know, in my environment to provide an only online service because part of the um, attraction and allure is that, you know, we've got to have people in chairs to mm-hmm. provide a service for the business that this one is in, you know, uh, that's part of it. Yeah. I don't want to see people doing DIY haircuts over a Zoom call. Yeah. I mean, helpful, but, you know, yes. it's still not the the cut that you would get if you came here. Yeah, and the experience. And that's where I think uh, retail's not dead. I think we've got a long, long uh, way to be able to navigate a different type of retail, a different type of service environment where you're coming in for personal services. I think we'll end up, um, you know, modifying the way we operate and the way our shops look and the efficiency of the shops. Um, and, you know, I think I think in a lot of cases, retail um, as a whole will turn into showrooms um, where you can come in, touch, feel, try on, look, and then by the time you get home, if we've done this properly, it's at your doorstep. Right. That's what I'm looking forward to. I want to see the revolution and the evolution of retail to get it to the point where we can enjoy the convenience of everything that we're enjoying about online shopping right now but with a mix of that personal upfront, touch it, feel it, uh, experience it, smell it. I mean, the one thing that I know, because we, we have been able to open the shop for, for retail at mm. 25% capacity, not for services, but for retail. The one common thing that comes through the door, no matter what, is, oh my God, the smell in here. Yeah, The smell is like, you know, it's a big piece of this. And if you go back to the uh, services podcast, I speak um, intimately on that because um, you need to create that experience. Uh, And that's where I think, just like print's not dead, retail won't be dead. We'll modify it so that it's more efficient, more effective. Um, And if you're not in the service game, if you don't recognize the importance of exceptional service, then you will be toast so is that smell by design and how would you uh, describe the smell when you walk into cabin (laughs) it's absolutely by design and um picture this your um first haircut ever as a young boy um has you you know probably going into a shop with your mom or dad and it was that first you know um whiff of something that high karate high karate (laughs) pinot noir and uh dating myself what is that not pinot noir that's a that's a wine pinot silvestri (laughs) the little pine cone one oh yeah there was you know those moments where you just have this recognition and this smell um that that brings you back to a place isn't isn't smell like the out of the senses the one that brings you back to a place uh, the quickest, isn't that? It's the, like, yes, it is. Like the visual is kind of recognized, but smell is like, oh my God. Takes you back to the moment, you know, the the hot apple pie and the eating it at grandma's. And, you know, that's what? that's very much what will happen when we designed the, the scent for, for Cabin. Um, it was meant to be this old school barber feeling that likely if you were, you know, um, middle aged that you experienced as a young child that you took your kid to, you know, when they were young. And that you can never get out of your mind. Once you get it, and, you know, we've had tens of thousands of customers come through the store here and the shops. And I know that we've personally affected every single one of them just by the fragrance, the scent. You know, um, and so they're always will remember that. Oh, this reminds me of that barbershop I used to go to. Um, So to me, that's that's huge. You know, you talk about recall. Um, from a business standpoint, I, I'm, I'm not doing it simply because uh, or simply from a point of like the look and feel you had in here, but I'm giving you a sensory overload so that when you can he- feel this again and you smell it somewhere else and it's re- vaguely familiar, that your moment back here comes to mind. Yeah. Whether you're six years old or 60, you yep. know, I think that that's an important piece. 
And that's why I think we'll always long for this interaction, this this connectivity to people and places. And when they're special, that's where I think you you win. And when you've created that romantic moment in the minds of the audience, then you really have something special. So, um, I, you know, I think a lot of people have been really kind in, in saying that about the environments that we create. Even uh, the events that I do, yeah. you know, the, there's scent is always a big part of it. Yeah, I love that. I love being able to, uh, you know, to, to loft something in so that there's a memory from it. It's important. It's, it's obviously very successful. It's a great. It's a great approach. Uh, well, yeah, working so far, we just need to be able to have people in the environment again because there is something really cool about you know um, buying stuff online. I, I'm not denying that. The convenience is so uh appreciated and you don't realize how how much of an effect that has until you're burdened or challenged with having to go pick up the you know the the thing that you need to finish that i don't know renovation that construction you know the the inefficiency of having to stop to go get you know whereas a planned visit is something that you look forward to you put it on the calendar we used to have in the very early days uh, of opening and only had one shop, we had um, the, these brother-in-laws, you know, their, their, their families would come down to the area. The, uh, the women and children, you know, it sounds like we're back in the OK Corral days, mm-hmm. but the women and children would go um, for a walk along the, um, the lakeshore and the guys would come in here. And what I didn't know, at the, they came in religiously every Sunday. It was part of, their schedule. Mm. I didn't realize how far they came from until, you know, maybe five or six visits in, but they came from an hour away. (laughs) (laughs) They drove an hour, which I thought was amazing. I said, my God, there's got to be places that are closer. And he said, there's no place like this. There's no place like this. This is my favorite, favorite calendar mark. And I'm like, calendar mark. And he goes, this is on our calendar. Every Sunday, it says cabin. Wow. <laughs> Could you imagine? No. What a feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, as an operator, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, you recognize that you've affected somebody in such a positive way that you became part of their family schedule. That's a huge, huge piece for me. Well, I've often said to you, this should be like a membership type of place because there are times when I drive by, I'm like, I just want to pop in just to be inside, get that elevated feeling, whatever that might be, the scent, the look, the feel. You just feel like... Okay, I'm in my comfort zone now, and now I can go back out and attack the world, right? So, you know, I I can I could see this place expanding and having a bar and everything else just for people to hang. You know what I mean? Like, cause it, it's a it's a great hang. Uh, I see the same thing, and that's where if you know we're constantly evolving the process and the environment, then I see the likes of that. I mean, it's been part of that early post mortem for me of what does membership look like? Right. What is monthly gift boxes look like Mm. you know how do we distribute that and are we at the time now where it's the perfect time to launch that and again getting back to my own advice the best time is right now so even if we even if we move forward with something and decide that we want to pull it back because it didn't perform exactly the way we expected then getting back to being a leader and making changes is part of that process. Mm-hmm. So let's modify it. You know, is is the gift box the right thing for the right price? And is it something that people want? Mm-hmm. If if your market says they want it, then you better have five versions of it because they're gonna they're gonna, you know, very um, excitedly uh, support you with it. So, you know, I think that would be the only other piece of advice I could give is that if you're willing to jump in a little, jump in a lot. Like be fully engaged in it so that, you know, it's just it's just a, a chance for you to be able to make people happy and and you shine. Perfect. I just have to ask, so when you're shipping parcels out uh, for people that are purchasing online, do you add a little bit of that scent onto the packaging just so that people are reminded of, hey, don't forget what you're missing here? Frank, uh. do you really have to ask that? <laughs> <laughs> That's um. That was one of the most common comments over the holiday season is that they opened the box and they loved the fact that they felt they were right back in the store. Wow. And so, you know, that might not be the right answer for a lot of people, but for us it was absolutely a part of the mix. It was something that m- made them 
connect again without being, you know, physically on site. Right. Uh, definitely a part of it. Um, yeah. So that's where we're at right now. I'm looking forward to, to what's next. I think that, you know, um, I think a lot of what we talked about today uh, will play out in many different ways over the next couple of weeks. And we'll jump back into that. I'm looking forward to getting back in um, the saddle again from a business operation standpoint, but at the same time too, this time uh, has given us a chance to really put all those scenarios in place and see what our next move is. So I'm excited to be able to announce some of those in the next few weeks, but for now, it's been a great Sunday morning chat, and uh, Frank, I always love when we can just get in here and, and shoot the proverbials. And to that point, guys, thanks for checking us out today. Thanks for jumping in to Staying Alive. I'm Louis J. This is the podcast, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you guys soon enough. So until then, be safe and uh, check us out online.